0: As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus, selected verses from chapters 1 and 2. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And spread. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl she shall live. But the midwives feared God, they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son and named him Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Maurice Sendak's book, Pierre, The title character is a boy who says only one thing, I don't care. Good morning, my darling boy, his mother greets him. You are my only joy. I don't care, says Pierre. What would you like to eat? I don't care. Some lovely cream of wheat? I don't care. Don't sit backwards on your chair. I don't care. Or pour syrup in your hair. I don't care. And on it goes. Pierre doesn't care about going into town. He doesn't care about getting scolded by his father. He just doesn't care. He doesn't even care when a lion shows up at his house and asks Pierre if he'd like to die. I don't care is all he has to say. So the lion eats him. Fortunately for Pierre, he is not a real child. He is a storybook character, which means that when his parents rush the lion into town where a doctor shakes him up and down, Pierre drops right out of the lion's mouth, not a scratch on him. The last line of the book is simply this, the moral of Pierre is care. The book of Exodus could be said to contain the same message. In this sweeping epic, we discover that the God of Israel is not only the God of creation and destruction and vocation we met in the book of Genesis. In Exodus, we discover this is also the God who cares, deeply, intimately, and personally for God's people, even and especially When those people are oppressed and marginalized and suffering we think of exodus as primarily the story of moses who was separated from his people raised in the palace of pharaoh exiled and then returned to lead his people out of slavery through the wilderness to the promised land but in order for moses to take his place in this salvation story we first have a remarkable series of events that hinge on the words and actions of five women who care. The two midwives who defy Pharaoh's order to kill any male child born to the Hebrews, Moses' mother and sister who refuse to allow baby Moses to be a victim of Pharaoh's murderous policies, and Pharaoh's own daughter, who, in a deliciously ironic twist, raises Moses, who will grow up to be the liberator of the Israelites, in Pharaoh's own household. First, the midwives. The text makes it sound like Shifra and Puah are Hebrew midwives, but in fact, the original language suggests that they were Egyptian women who attended the births of the Hebrew people. This matters, because as Egyptians, they are supposed to be loyal to Pharaoh above all else. But when they are asked to collaborate with Pharaoh's murderous policies, they align themselves with the God of the Hebrews instead. We see the same subversive loyalty in Pharaoh's own daughter when she discovers the basket with a crying Hebrew baby in the river. Of course she knows her father has ordered all the Hebrew baby boys to be drowned. But in that moment, she chooses compassion for the baby in front of her over loyalty to family and king. And when Miriam, Moses' watchful sister, offers to find a Hebrew woman to care for the child, Pharaoh's daughter says yes. As we continue our series about good faith conversations, we need to be clear about what's happening in both these encounters, between the midwives and Pharaoh and between Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter. When they were called before Pharaoh to account for why they haven't followed his orders, Shifra and Puah could have just told him, well, we think you're wrong. We aren't going to do your bidding, but instead, they lie. They lie through their teeth. They lie to save their own lives. They lie to protect the Israelite families. Now, Moses's sister doesn't outright lie in her conversation with Pharaoh's daughter, but she doesn't quite tell the truth either. She knows enough about the trappings of power that she isn't about to announce to Pharaoh's daughter that she is that baby's big sister. Instead, Miriam comes up with a way for Pharaoh's daughter to save the baby and return him to the arms of his mother, at least for a little while longer. In both situations, despite the pressures and expectations of their government, their families, and their society's norms, each of these women chooses to care, a choice that appears to transcend all their other moral obligations. As they seek to do what is right, compassion is what guides them. Theologian and priest Richard Rohr runs the Center for Action and Contemplation in New Mexico. That organization has eight core principles that guides its work, one of which is the best criticism of the bad Is the practice of the better. The best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. This is wisdom that the five women in today's story inhabit. They do not challenge Pharaoh and his evil plans directly. Instead, they practice something better. They attend, as midwives do so well to the human beings in front of them in that moment, to the innocence of children and to the inherent dignity of every person. And when they are confronted by those in power, they are not afraid to use crafty collaboration to align themselves with God. Many of us in Richmond know of Maggie Walker, She has a school named after her and a statue and a home in Jackson Ward that is a National Historic Site. But what you may not know is that Maggie Walker made a name for herself by being a crafty collaborator. The daughter of a former slave, Walker became the first black woman to head a US bank, a bank she founded in 1903. She also used her intellect and financial acumen not just to build wealth, but to empower the members of American society she believed were the most oppressed Black women. Who is so helpless as the Negro woman? She asked in a speech in 1901. Who is so circumscribed and hemmed in in the race of life, in the struggle for bread and meat and clothing? In a time when white bankers actively undermined the ability of Black people to save and build wealth, Maggie Walker opened her bank in Richmond's business district in 1905, amidst opposition so strong, it eventually drove the bank out of the neighborhood. But Walker kept going and kept lending in a way that empowered and honored the dignity of hardworking Black women. She made loans as small as $5. She kept evening hours at her bank six days a week for those who couldn't get off work during the day. She created a bank with an elegant interior where customers could sign their documents with brass pens so that even the poorest would feel respected. Maggie Walker used her knowledge of the struggle of the oppressed to care for them to draw alongside them, to labor and co-labor with them. She confronted the bad with something better. Shifra and Pua use their knowledge and compassion to draw alongside those doing the difficult labor of bringing life into the world. By vocation, midwives are co-laborers with women who are giving birth. Co-laborers, collaborators. Shifra and Puah spend their careers witnessing the miracle of new life. And this teaches them the inherent value of every human being. So when Pharaoh asks for their loyalty to his deathly dealings, They choose to collaborate with the God of compassion instead. Now, although Pharaoh's daughter may have never attended the birth of a baby, what we know from her story is what can happen to our hearts when what is merely a statistic becomes flesh and blood. Pharaoh's daughter knew about her father's attempt to suppress the Israelites by having all of their baby boys thrown into the Nile, But that knowledge takes on a whole new dimension when it is embodied in a crying child, placed by his desperate mother in a miniature ark that she hoped would save him. The text tells us that when Pharaoh's daughter opened the basket, she saw the child and was moved to pity. That phrase, moved to pity, is more than just having compassion. It's having your heart affected in such a way that you do the thing you are not supposed to do. Pharaoh's daughter was supposed to tip the basket over and let that baby go under. But instead, she allows his sister, who appears at just the right moment, to take the baby back to the Hebrews, back to his people, for a time together Pharaoh's daughter and Miriam become co-laborers, collaborators in saving this life. In Sunday school this fall, our youngest disciples are learning to spot superheroes both in the Bible and in everyday life. What they're learning is that superheroes don't always look like what we expect sometimes like in the story of jeremiah's call or today's story about miriam superheroes look like children other times like in the story of abraham and sarah they look like elderly people or they look like joseph and his brothers who hurt each other badly but somehow find the courage to forgive in all these stories we meet people who in difficult circumstances choose to collaborate with the God who cares in order to care for the people God loves. Superheroes in the Bible and in life take the time to see the people in front of them, to see them not as statistics or stereotypes, but as those God loves and invites us to love. Last December, a five-year-old named Bethany was riding in the car with her mother in their town of Savannah, Georgia, when they passed a man asking for money, holding a sign explaining that he was experiencing homelessness. When Bethany saw this, she turned to her mother in tears and announced that she wanted to give all the money in her piggy bank to the people in their city experiencing homelessness. This is how Bethany's Happy Bags for the Homeless was born. Bethany and her mother started filling plastic bags with food, first aid kits, and toiletries. After a few months, they switched from quart-sized bags to gallon-sized, and now each bag contains food and drink, new socks, body wipes, bug spray, sunscreen, deodorant, soap, and a handwritten note to let the recipient know that someone cares for them. Recently, Bethany and her mom gave out their 299th bag. They've also partnered with a local shelter for women and children to donate blankets so that when a child comes to the shelter, they can pick out a blanket that will be theirs forever. Ethan Bullard, the curator of the Maggie Walker National Historic Site, says that sometimes with pioneers who blazed a trail on the path to justice, we think their legacy requires the fulfillment of the path they blazed. But in fact, their legacy is blazing the path. The fulfillment, he says, may be up to us. No matter how young or old we are, what mistakes we've made along the way, what limitations we think we have, God has put us on the path and given us the capacity to see and to care. Together, we can be collaborators in honoring life and defying the pharaohs of our time who would put profits and power over people in need. We can encounter the bad and practice the better. We can do what is right Even if others think it is wrong, we can be collaborators with the God who cares enough to see us and who invites us to see and care for one another. Amen.